0: Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. March 22nd, 2020, episode 171, Going Virtual. Hello everyone and welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner. I'm Kevin England. Today's show is going to be a check-in episode and honestly it wasn't planned but came to fruition in the past few days and I think when you hear what it is you'll understand why. The topic is about moving to a virtual posture. Given what's going on with coronavirus it's evident that for the short term in-person meeting activities, training, other things in the U.S. are going to be curtailed. As of this morning, it sounds like the U.S. is now third on the list behind China and Italy in the number of active cases. In the last episode, episode 170, I spoke of preparing so that your beekeeping activities can take place this summer. I followed my own advice earlier this week, taking some time to plan, and I placed some orders for supplies that I will need later this summer. Now, I'm hoping that I can get them shipped. Actually, I have my concerns that things will be shipped. As the situation progresses, I fear that shipping of non-essentials could be impacted and even cease. That's a pessimistic view, but it could happen, so I'm being proactive and I ordered what I needed. And before I get into this, I'll encourage you to do the same. It's also a good time to support your local businesses and get your orders in. Having my supplies addressed, now I'm thinking about living life virtually and some of the other challenges that may require some attention. What motivates me? We were scheduled to kick off the Northwest Managed Mentoring Training Program next weekend, and now it appears beekeepers will have to go about it in their home without us, in isolation. We didn't have a choice. We had to cancel our in-person monthly meetings and our in-person training sessions. And I also presume that we won't be able to, for Northwest New Jersey Beekeepers Association, hold our field meetings. That last notion, no field meetings. Maybe we can figure out a way to do that, but I'm thinking that we're not alone in considering alternative ways to communicate to our beekeepers the information they need especially for those that are new or inexperienced and would like some trusted, experienced beekeeper consultations. This is what the focus of this check-in is about. I think it's important to recognize that building a plan for changing the way you deliver information in a way that it's not customary for us And I'll admit, I personally don't have all the answers I'm working through this. It's been on my to-do list for a long time, been thinking about how to set up a collaborative online session, now I have no choice. Still, I would bet that I have more experience than many, as I work for a corporation where online collaboration is the norm, and also have a background in online gaming which surprisingly affords a lot of experience with collaborative engagements. In a roundabout way, I guess that makes me more qualified than some to consider helping out and in my ever desire to be helpful I thought about this check-in and I'm gonna do my best to offer some baseline guidance and recommendations about setting up a program and provide a few pointers for unexperienced users on how to participate in collaborative sessions. Starting out, I think I'll go in this order. Introduction to peripherals and software, headsets, microphones, webcams, and such. Then we'll talk a little bit about collaborative tools, software options, the pros and cons. And then we can talk about, wrap things up on how to conduct online meetings. A little bit of etiquette there. The first thing to say is you may have already encountered this technology. Progressive beekeepers have taken a nod from corporations and other venues. And it's not uncommon for more organized clubs to have dabbled already in collaborative tools. To give an example, the most common exposure of this tech might have been through virtual presenters at a conference where a speaker from a distant location remotes in And presents a topic. I've been to a number of local and state meetings where speakers join us from a remote location to present a topic, most commonly through Microsoft's Skype offering. Another form of get-together is where a number of users come together in a collaborative tool. Participants join and partake in the session remotely through voice and or video. These are using small group sessions for the purpose of a monthly meeting or maybe an executive board session. And examples of the software solutions used include, again, Skype, WebEx, Zoom, and GoToMeeting. A third approach is to have a lead presenter hosting the session with a large contingent of participants connected to that session as attendees in a webinar style format. For this, any of the previous tools can be employed, but so too can custom software services that are out on the web, which are dedicated to hosting online webinar-style events. One of the key aspects of this engagement is that the presenter is at the center, and there is often a live chat on the side where ideas can be exchanged, real-time expressions can be shared, and of course questions can be asked of the presenter in real-time. There's one more avenue to explore and this is more towards the persistent collaboration platforms. In this format, you will join a solution and collaborate through a number of interactions, file sharing, posting to a forum or in a channel, one-on-one, one person talking to many in an ad hoc collaborative session and even more. The interactions with these solutions are less session-based and more persistent, as described. Examples of offerings here are Microsoft Teams, Slack, Discord, and a couple others, to name a few. So whether you know these, or if they are foreign to you, I'll say let's pause on this for a moment. I intend to come back more about illustrative examples of which ones to use But the first thing you need to pay attention to is the hardware you need to engage in these platforms, computers, peripherals, and so on. So for topic number one, let's talk about devices and peripherals. So to start with, you need a device. Computers are likely a better choice for this type of work but you can participate in meaningful ways with a mobile device like a phone or a tablet. I will express a bias on the setup that you'll probably have a better experience running a PC specifically with Windows. Many of the collaborative tools in the marketplace have their origin in one of two forms, computer gaming or corporate collaboration. Those two spaces are dominated by the Windows PC. And while Apple and Unix based devices, gaming device platforms like Xbox and PlayStation, Unix, by the way, includes Android devices, if you weren't aware of that, they have been ingrained in the mix. But sometimes the Apple and Unix based devices do not play well with peripherals you purchase and your mileage may vary with gaming platforms. The net result is you end up with second-tier experience when you go with something other than a PC. It's just a personal observation. The good news is, given the popularity in the last five years or so to alternative machines, not running Windows, if you've gone this route in your phone, tablet, gaming The experiences are getting better and better over time and they're not as half as bad as they used to be just a few years ago another aside is any reasonably newer windows pc laptops included should really be plug and play for the peripherals and software i'm about to talk about in the past if you bought a even decent machine sometimes they struggled to work But nowadays, all the computers that are offered, even in lower tier, are usually more than fast enough to handle this type of interaction. Let's move to peripherals, headsets and headphones. Kicking it off, I want to talk about headsets. Headsets provide the combination of microphone and speakers for you to hear who you are collaborating with. I want to refer to that combination of a microphone and speaker as a headset. In contrast, if it's just speakers for your ears, we'll refer to those as earphones. Just so when I'm talking, there's no mix up in nomenclature. My recommendation is you go for a quality headset and microphones you would be well served to get a quality headset and I'm going to address a consideration of this approach which is how you look wearing one when you're on a camera. Now there's no getting around it sometimes people just look goofy wearing a headset. My recommendation is get over it. <laughs> Believe it or not sound is the most important thing because well you're trying to communicate Headsets place the microphone in the right place, and often the best collaborations work with someone you can hear well. So I give a thumb up to people who have the braveness to go with a headset. So it's true, when you use a webcam, you might look a little geeky, but fact of the matter is you're going to find that a lot of people are doing this because they want to hear well. And when everybody's doing it, you don't look as goofy. And honestly, it becomes... You're, you're a little small postage stamp in the middle of this sea of people. People don't even notice. So don't worry about that. For the word quality that I used, you want a quality headset for the purpose of obtaining a good microphone. As a rule, if you spend a little more money on a headset it will likely have a better quality sound in your ears and a microphone. If you take care of it, you're going to have it for years. And if you buy a poor one, you're going to regret it later that you didn't spend a few more dollars on it in your one-time purchase. And I'll say it again, when you're in a virtual session, you want to have the best quality sound that you can get. Another alternative is to go the headphone and microphone combination route. There's another option if you don't want to wear a headset, and that's to source a microphone to put on your desk, and you either use earphones or room speakers for the collaborative sessions. But I have to give a warning that you should know sometimes that the room speakers come back through the microphones in your setup, and they cause disruption in the call. By earphones, as I said before, I'll describe them simply as speakers that cover your ear and remind you that they don't have a microphone. If that sounds old-fashioned, then source earbuds. To me, they're interchangeable, and if you would like to look a little less geekish, you can go with earbuds instead of a headphone. Let's talk about distortion feedback. In these instances, the one where audio problems crop up, you have to be technically savvy to understand how to balance this meaning the sound that's coming out of your speakers and anything that can make its way into your microphone and cause this warbling effect to everybody on the call. The easiest way to address it is to switch to a headset because the headset's playing into your ears and not out loud and the fallback is to use earphones they don't play out loud either. You're negating the possibility that the sound's gonna get to your microphone that you're using. And if you're not clear on how to tweak your sound in your settings on your PC, you, you might want to go that route or make sure you do your homework to understand how to tweak it so you're not getting it and test it before you subject everybody to sound. One of the key things that happens is you talk, it goes into the microphone, it comes back out through your speaker and back into your microphone, and you'll say hello, and what will end up is you'll say hello, and it'll go, hello, 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 hello. How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you? you? Doing, 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 doing. And you'll hear somebody guaranteed do this if they don't understand how to set their sound settings up. It's very frustrating as a listener on the other end to put up with that with somebody who's not got their sound correctly. So don't be that person. You know, one thing to say about that is it kinda of sounds funny and it doesn't sound as harmful. A lot of times what happens is you get distortion feedback, which is this loud squeal, and you hear wee 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 weep 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 wee, and it just keeps going until you finally figure out how to mute your system. Okay, enough on that. <laughs> what about recommendations? What, what should you get? Do I have a recommendation for a headset? I feel like it's a slippery slope to try that as everyone brings different requirements to the party. And the perception of how much someone wishes to spend varies, especially when there's cheaper things in the marketplace and you're trying to find that right price point. And sound microphone is such a subjective thing it's hard to make a recommendation and not draw a lot of feedback of people yelling at me let me go this route this is what I'll do through this I'll share with you the purchase of things that are I consider just right they're not the best of the best of the best sir that's not the way I do it in fact they're good quality moderate or a little better But their quality, that's the recommendation. Don't buy the lowest one, don't buy the most expensive one, middle of the road. This is a Kevin moment. One of my favorite phrases in the world is, good enough is perfect. Someone taught me, and I've said this on the podcast before, that one of the most amazing things you could buy in a hardware store is a can of paint. Spray can. Spray can. The reason being is it's made for the... Every man, or in this day, to be politically correct, every woman, or whatever. They just work. You spray whatever you want to spray with them, and they work really well. They're made for everyday use. That's the type of equipment you want to buy. Now, if you could afford something a little bit better, okay. Or if you're doing something for a living, you're going to go upscale. Like, for example... You could buy a microphone. I'm using a higher quality one because I do podcasts. So what I'll do is I'll share what I use and sometimes uh, I'll share the rationale as to whether I have a better one, why it is that way or not. And then I'll make a recommendation of what would be middle of the road. Let's start with my headset. First thing to say about my headset is I went through a lot of headsets over the years. I've been online gaming since 1998 and you know over time you go through and wreck them and when you buy a new one you upgrade there was a time too when I was doing broadcasting so I bought a little better quality one nowadays the price point for these things have come down quite a bit too and the one that I bought which was higher quality then is actually usually affordable these days so I use a Logitech Model 350 USB headset. Logitech's a company, models 350 and the connector is USB. This device is really old. They're a little hard to find in the marketplace but they still sell it. I saw it for sale on walmart.com but I couldn't find it on Amazon. The price that I paid back in 2010 when I bought it was $69. The good news is I think you could buy it cheaper than that now because there's newer models that are better than that one but that's still a great headset you can spend north of $100 for a really good headset but I think you can get a good headset in the $40 to $50 range I have to come back to this 2010 it was a good purchase it's 2020 I spent a little bit more money at the time especially in 2010 dollars but I still have it and use it frequently and I've taken care of it and it's in the condition that I took it out of the box for me personally I like Logitech stuff when it comes to this when making a purchase I would say consider buying a headset that is USB connection instead of a headphone A lot of devices these days are getting away from the headphone jack. You can usually find them on a laptop or on a PC, but you can almost always find a USB. Now obviously you're going to take into consideration what kind of device you plan to use, and then buy a headset accordingly if that's the route you're going. When you're buying a headset, get a two-ear model. I would recommend buying one that covers both your ears. It's the right way to go as it provides the best chance for hearing the audio. Which when you're on a conference call sometimes it could be hard to pick up what the speaker is saying and it's going to give you the best chance to understand what's going on. Unfortunately not everyone's going to follow this advice and sometimes people are using cheap devices to talk into or they have bad connections. And you're only making out bits and pieces. It takes something and makes it decipherable versus undecipherable with poor quality. I said Logitech. They're a gaming company and they make sturdy gear for gamers. There are of course two other companies out there that are super well known for this type of stuff. Headsets. Plantronics. And the other is Jabra. J-A-B-R-A. I've used both of those in the corporate setting and sometimes they can be pricey but especially for Plantronics they offer consumer grade headsets and they do have regular USB and the new darling USB-C variations. Those three companies are probably the best place to go but again you can look out there and read recommendations and figure out if there's another way you want to go. If you're going the headset route, I'm talking about listening devices, there's another option. These headsets are not headsets, they are Bluetooth earbuds. Modern computers, and of course devices like tablets and phones, have Bluetooth capabilities, and that opens the door for using earbuds. I guess my only reservation with these with going this route is sometimes the microphones in those devices are lower quality. I happen to own a couple different kinds. And even my Apple AirPods, the sound from my voice is really muted through those. Doesn't work very well. And to me, voice clarity is a big deal. And one of the key, again, sound interactions of a participant is their voice to convey highs, lows, details, and so on. Remember you have no uh, sometimes you're just in a voice call you have no visual body clues and the inflection of somebody's voice also is important to understand. It might seem odd to consider the fact that I didn't offer Bluetooth right away on this and these type which is you know pretty common these days I find that Bluetooth capabilities on a PC to be dodgy, and even sometimes on phones. The thing about it is if you're doing it occasionally and you're listening to music and it drops out, it's no big deal. But when you're on a call, or you're collaborating, or or especially if you're presenting, you don't need them to be finicky. And I find that if you're trying to do a session that has any duration of time, they drop, or they disconnect or you find other challenges with them contrast that with plugging in the port and go they never drop they almost always are there all the time and they just work and there's something to be said about the simplicity of a headset that given how personal earbuds are to each person whether they fit in your ears and how much you want to spend on them I'm gonna forego making any recommendation but I wanted to acknowledge that this is a way you could go and not pass it by. Again one of the things with going with a Bluetooth setup is you need to understand the Bluetooth stack and how to connect things and so on. That is one up on an Apple device. I must share that most of the time when you connect them to another Apple device they just work. I've had other Bluetooth headsets trying to get them connected to a device and keep them running. It's been a a pain. So keep that in mind. Next place to go is standalone microphones. Maybe you want to forego the headset and you have a decent set of speakers or earphones for your device. When I refer to microphones, I'll make this declaration device microphones. Do not make the grade. If you're using an iPad and trying to use its built-in microphone, even some built-in microphones to laptops, they're gonna sound like you're on a cheap piece. The PC, laptop, tablet, they spend money on the screen, not on the microphones. The bigger problem with using these, even if they had a decent microphone, is positioning. If the microphones are not of poor quality, they're typically positioned incorrectly when you're trying to use them. And they don't pick you up well. Uh, Built-in microphones have a sweet spot and often the device microphone has a proximity problem to where you are. You're too far away from it. This is the thing about a headset. The microphone is pretty easy to get it to the corner of your mouth and as such they sound better. It's funny that even a cheap headset with a cheap microphone sounds better than a good quality microphone not set up properly. Device microphones, tablet, PC, sometimes even webcams if you don't use them right, they make it sound like you're sitting across the room. And it strains listeners to lean in and try and figure out what you're talking about. They also tend not to have a lot of highs and lows, which is how we figure out what people are talking about. They tend to be a little flatter in the dynamic range. That's probably too much information, but the gist of it is device microphones are problematic. Now there is another option, non-device microphones. These are dedicated PC microphones that come in many form factors and it's complicated to make a recommendation but I'll take a swing at it here your mileage may vary by style but I can say even some of the cheaper cost standalone microphones do a really good job and the reason is it comes back to proximity in this space when you take a look there are offerings for traditional little microphones on a stick This is a little plastic base with a long pole with a microphone sitting on the end. Sometimes they're on solid, sometimes they're twistable shafts. And then there's the ones that are offered for sale that are developed for, wait for it, podcasters. (laughs) These are usually this condenser microphone on a small tripod stand. They're not very expensive. Prices of these things, if you want to stay reasonable come from 15 to $50. Now they can go up to more for sure. For the purpose of collaboration calls and presenting, it's pretty common that anything less than $50 will get the job done in the microphone thing. And you could fi- probably find a reasonable one between $30 and $50. As with the headsets here again, when you're looking for a device, do consider a USB connector for the interface. Again the alternative is regular line-in, microphone-in, but you better know how to use that if you're buying one of those. I don't personally have a recommendation of one to use because I don't have one. I use this microphone that I'm talking on right now which is a expensive recording microphone for podcasts, which I have upgraded to over a number of things, but I always started with a good microphone that was a little more expensive. Honestly, I think the key to microphones is the quality is not the quality of the microphone, but where the proximity is to your mouth. If you go out and search for podcast microphones, You'll see what I'm talking about. They're these little they're about the size of a hot dog bun and they're usually mounted on some sort of tripod. Those are the ones that I'm talking about and they work pretty well. Let's turn to something you could take a different direction and in some respects kill two birds with one stone and that's a webcam. Webcams it might be desirable to go this route They run the gamut, and you could spend a lot of time learning about what's out there. And I don't want to confuse everyone by going down the rabbit hole, talking about specs too much, but I will hit a couple keynotes so you know the basics of what to look for. Just in case you don't know what a webcam is, because sometimes people don't, They're small compact cameras, they're often mounted somewhere above your workstation, and they provide a live video feed in the call that you're interacting on. They're typically designed to work with a PC and or anything that takes a standard USB connector. There are also wireless ones, but I don't know how great they would work for the same reasons that the Bluetooth stack didn't work well for the earbuds. Let me simplify this by saying this. You could buy a webcam and you can get one with an integrated microphone which kills two birds with one stone. A kind of all-in-one solution. If you're in the market for a webcam, know that the differences are mostly between the video quality and whether they have a microphone or not. You see the resolution specs in the advertisements. 720p versus 1080p. 720 is standard definition. 1080p is considered high definition. And also they offer counts of frames per second. In this day and age, and since the prices have come down, you should just go with a 1080p camera. And typically the frame rates are good enough even if you get a lower frame rate. What I use, here again, Logitech, pretty ubiquitous brand for this type of stuff but there are others out there besides Logitech that offer webcams I own what is middle-of-the-road Logitech C615615 model that I purchased in 2014 it gets the job done but it's not the most amazing piece out there and I could say in contrast Danny my son has an upgraded Logitech C920, which is one step above, and is one of the top tier models, and admittedly, it's really, really nice. Now he streams video games over Twitch TV, and for that he demands a better camera, so we spend a little bit more for it. The difference here is costs. My older model still can be purchased, and it runs about $60 these days if you could find it. I should clarify that the model that I have is outmoded. They've reproduced newer models of the same tier. So if you look for mine, it'll often tell you that there's a newer version of this particular model, but there's still some of my C615 models floating around in the marketplace. The price points run 50 and upwards to even $200 for the ones like Danny has and more. In this case, it's probably not something you're going to buy but once in your lifetime. And if you could swing it, buy a better quality one. There's a little bit of bad news that's topical to this moment in time, it has to do with availability Considering that everyone has been sequestered to home, coronavirus is sheltering people to work from home, and a lot of the available stock for sale out in the world has been depleted. They're going to be hard to come by for a period of time. My recommendation here is if you're able to find one, spend what your budget will afford and buy a better quality one if you can swing it. To be honest, my middle-of-the-road camera looks a little washed-out and grainy when compared to Danny's crystal-clear high-definition one, but you know what? It suffices for now, especially for just simple collaboration calls. Would I like one like his? Sure, but good enough is perfect. Alright, I'm going to wrap up here. Microphones, headsets, earbuds, webcams, all consideration in this remote access work and play style. I believe it's a reasonable enough primer and I want to turn to tools that you could use with these and then finish with some participation tips. But first I'm going to talk about an obvious utility that is your personal phone or tablet. Of course you can use both of these to participate in sessions. The drawback here sometimes is the smaller screens. They're not suitable for consuming what is shown. If you're watching someone's presentation on a phone and they have very busy slides, it's going to be hard. And even on a tablet sometimes, you'd be surprised how hard it is compared to a 19 or 21 or 27- inch monitor. The other thing about participating with these devices is they're in use. So, for example, you can't, um, if I'm on a PC, I can shrink the window that I'm watching where I'm collaborating with others and seeing, and I can open Microsoft Word on the side. You're not going to be able to type, record, swipe, whatever it is you do while you're using a small device. And Maybe you can figure out some way to do it. That's That's possible, but typically you'd be more productive especially if you're trying to take notes on a PC. Now I think a lot of people lose track of the utility of old devices and you could whip out an old phone, hook it up to your internet connection and use that as your webcam and connect twice. and Sometimes that's a, a problem but in places where it's not, you could connect with your phone on one and your PC on the other and let your phone camera be your webcam. I'm just putting this out there as options. One thing I would say to you is if you're using your phone or tablet because the device microphones are not so good, if it has a headphone jack, consider using a lapel microphone. You can plug the lapel into your microphone and pin the lapel microphone right to your chest right below your chin and you'll get much better sound. I had to say that before moving on and make sure that I gave it consideration. And think about that because almost everybody has a drawer full of older devices that you could possibly use in that way and you don't have to go out and buy equipment. I'm all for recycling. Let's move on to topic number two. This is collaboration tools. i want to discuss diversity of tools. There are different offerings out there that were created for different needs. They have a different focus. Some were created for a place to keep things in collections and then interact with them on a persistent basis. Some are suitable for presentations to an audience, and they're surrounded with adjunct capabilities in support of giving that presentation. And others are made for courseware, where you have one-on-one interactions. Maybe you're doing um, a study through a long course, and then there's other things out there where they're just simply one-on-one like Instagram and, you know, those, those are kind of funny in collaboration tools, but you can sometimes employ them to communicate messaging. Uh, I think about gaming platforms, which I'll talk a little bit about. I think about MailChimp and Constant Contact and, and those type of other utilities out there. But in the context of what I'm talking about today... We're going to review a few of these things and talk about how we might envision them to support this visual work style that we're talking about. First focus is on presenting. One of the bigger gaps beekeeping clubs need to close in this virtual world is how to go on supporting and communicating to beekeepers in lieu of not having face-to-face communications in a in-place meeting. Chances are your club has employed tools already. I just mentioned a couple of them, MailChimp, Constant Contact. You can have a OneDrive or Google Drive, Dropbox, document stores. When it comes to writing things down and sharing information by giving artifacts to someone, a Word document, a PDF, an email, these things work really well. The gap is more around voice communication, being able to talk to someone and hold a conversation or answer questions live. It has to be said that written instructions, the emails, things like I just mentioned, they only go so far. It's just like reading a book. While you're reading a book, you're thinking of all the questions that the author did not answer. And the same thing when you're reading a how-to guide and so on topic of beekeeping is so diverse and it's almost universal that after you read something you'll have questions it doesn't matter to simply have an outlet that is trusted that's key is important because i'm not for sending your beekeepers off to an online forum now don't get me wrong there's many helpful people there but if you're not well informed you're not going to be adequately prepared to screen the good from the bad. And you could really go down some bad paths with the recommendations. I've seen people on online forums give bad recommendations just for the ha of it. And I don't find that funny, obviously. So if you get where I'm going, then you have to say that clubs associations need a place where they can call home a collaborative hub. If you get where I'm going, then it's almost like a private forum where you're answering the questions and people have the ability to ask a question and then a moderator can come in and answer the question. One of the benefits of this, of getting the answer from your club or association is you're probably talking to people who are local and in your neighborhood. And when you're asking things and so much of beekeeping has to do with weather and timing. Uh, you can get a proper answer from somebody who's right there with you. So this is the, how do I say this? This is the home base. This is the collaboration, build a permanent place where people can interact in a safe, protected environment within your association. Now, before I do this, one thing I'm going to say, I'm going to try to recommend free or low cost alternatives. I do my best to call out the costs and other considerations so you can factor that in while you're trying to get things up and running. I'm gonna mention ones that I know of and I'm somewhat familiar with or I have literally used. There are so many different things out there to consider and you might wanna look around um, to see what what it is that meets your need. So the first one is wider collaboration. The tool exploration I wanna talk about is Slack and Teams. Slack started this space and Teams is Microsoft's response to it. Both offer what I'll describe in and is an industry term. It's called the freemium model. They offer some of the service for free in hopes that you'll want more and sign on for the premium plans once they convince you that the service is valuable hence the term freemium. Slack has its origin in something akin to instant messenger, which is text for computers. But it has surrounded its services through integration with things like Google Drive and Office 365 for document management, voice calls, and other services. Slack offers one-on-one free Calls in the free model and then up to 16 can collaborate together if you upgrade around $7 a month. Teams from Microsoft has also application integrations at the free tier. I mentioned constant contact before you can integrate with that in there if you're a constant contact user and they also enable one-on-one calls but you have to pay to host events and do other things. So again, freemium. If I can guess some of you are thinking, I didn't want to hear the consumer reports head to head and I don't want to go down that path either. I simply want to illustrate that there are certain features you'll pick them, meaning the solution you want to go with based on what interests you. And I would say to you that if integration with services like Constant Contact or Office 365 or something for you because you use OneDrive, then maybe Teams is the way to go. The more important thing about these tools, Slack, Microsoft, is they're established. You're making a place where people know your club uses these and everybody goes to the same channel. I find sometimes that we get too distracted saying we're gonna use this for this and this for that and this for this and this for that and this for the other thing when you could just go to Teams as an example. So do consider that some of the platforms that offer more rounded features are actually beneficial. It gives one consistent user interface which I think is an important consideration. Here I'm going to do something a little strange. I'm going to mention something that's really foreign, but equally compelling. And in my mind, it offers another way to go that has its own appeal. I'm going to talk about a gaming-centric collaboration tool that if you're not a gamer, you probably haven't heard of it. And it's got an awkward name. It's called Discord. Discord's interesting, and you can create a workplace, just like Teams and Slack, and you can create channels where people can collaborate through text, um, meaning like text messages back and forth like a forum, or you could set up voice channels where you can meet with one person, meaning a one-on-one, or you could come together as a group of people to discuss a topic. Another thing that Discord offers, that so does Teams and Slack, is screen sharing. It makes an interesting choice. The thing I would say to you is, you should play around with each of these and figure out which one suits your style, and then make a choice to do a trial with a small group of your users. You want to look at it from the aspect of ease of use, ease of administration, and the perspective that if you did want to upgrade to other tiers and start paying a monthly service how much is it going to cost now one thing that i'll say that i feel like discord has better even than a company as big as microsoft and their teams is that gamers do not tolerate a solution that doesn't work And the code that supports discord in the background is really well written. And I'll just say that the tool works. I've used it for years and there's something to be said about that. There's another thing about discord in the context of the features that you get versus the freemium model with Microsoft teams or slack. Gamers are cheap. They don't have a lot of money but they also want a lot of features. And if somebody comes along and one ups, they'll jump ship. So a product like Discord is loaded with features and they're usually pretty well done. Now there's fly-by-night tools out there and they're created and they're really strange. So you want to pick one that has good instructions for you and support, which Teams, Slack, and Discord have going for them. There are times if you're not technically inclined that you'll get frustrated and you cannot find the answer you're looking for and you'll figure out that support is just as important as how capable the tool is. Now I've only mentioned three tools here and there are more but I would caution you if you're considering going with something that is lesser known. Here, too, I'll fall back on an experience that I had in my past. There was a time when I used to support a soccer organization, and I chose this really nice tool called Airset. It was a great tool. It had all the collaborative features I wanted, but unfortunately, it didn't last very long. Quite frankly, what I came to learn is they didn't know what they were doing, and I think I've seen something out there on Facebook recently that had similar branding looking that I think they may have reimagined this tool and it's a one-off thing don't do it (laughs) at one point they brought a new version of the tool that went from like version 2 to 3 and they changed everything so drastically that my users couldn't figure out how to use the tool and in the end only after a year when that version got released they went out of business because they did such a poor job at understanding how to bring the tool along and mature it and keep pace with the users. Now, a company like Microsoft or Slack or Discord, and another one that I haven't mentioned that's been out there, like Discord, called TeamSpeak, another gaming platform. This company's been around for quite a while, and you can expect that they know how to take care of their stuff and won't make an airset mistake. We've been talking about collaborative tools. What if your focus is to present? You've lost your live in-person meetings, but you still want to present information out in exchange of education topic or interest, or maybe you want to have a presenter in from somewhere else. Examples in this space, I'll just rattle off a couple Webex, Zoom, YouTube, and everybody knows about Skype. Any one of these will allow someone to present a video, PowerPoint and then most of them have the ability to receive real-time feedback. Of the four, Webex and Zoom, Skype, these three compete in the same space. They're all typically seen as a meeting management platform. They're not really meant for one person to present out, but they're meant for people to take turns in presenting a collaborative meeting format. Now most of the time exchange of information is done by enabling all participants to speak out loud. They can present, they can talk whenever they want in those uh, three solutions. It's like one big party line phone call. The presenter also has the option, or the administrator of these tools, to dominate the call and sequester the rest of the participants by muting them through some commands that are available through the program. So there is power to do whatever you want. And typically what happens is one person schedules the event and then they're the administrator And they grant permissions to the other participants as to whether they can present, whether they can talk and, and be off of mute and take over the call and so on. Now one of the main features you'll want if you're doing a presenting style of uh, format is the ability to record a session so you could share them later. This is where something like YouTube joins the party because that's built in right away, of course. With YouTube, you broadcast live, it allows collaboration, and when you're done, you can post a video to a channel and it can be consumed anytime, you can embed it somewhere else, and it stays there permanently if that's what you desire. As with some of these, discretion is at your valor. With the meetings management platforms, you can record and then post later, with YouTube, you can make it unlisted and so on. It feels like there could be a whole lesson in itself on how to use these tools to operate a session. And I'm just putting the tools out there that are available and talking about the ways you can use them and make choices and picking out reasons why you might pick one over the other. I'll spend a little time later commenting about the etiquette with participating with these tools. But at this point, I'm guessing some of you might say can you just make a recommendation I don't want to do all this homework so given I'm literally doing this for Northwest right now which led me to the reason why I'm talking on this I'm gonna tell you what I'm going to choose and why I'm going to choose it I'm gonna turn now to recommendations if you're looking to collaborate for your association your team meaning making your home base. I think I am personally going to go with Discord. i got to put a caveat for this one. One consideration for my approach for Northwest in my recommendation is I am going to be the administrator. I think Discord has the most to offer from a feature set and it is really flexible in the way that I want to set it up. But if I were not as tech savvy, you don't have a tech person in your club, go with Microsoft Teams. It's usually straight down the middle. And the reason I can recommend Microsoft Teams is, they typically do a very good job at supporting users with written documentation. Now, unfortunately, one of the things about Microsoft Teams is they've positioned that tool when they put it in the marketplace that you have to buy a subscription service to get some of the better features for it it's just the way it is but even it's simplified tier has a lot to offer and it's probably the easiest barrier to entry if you're looking to do this and you're not really confident about it now I'm gonna say this and it's a selfish notion I'm not also picking Teams for one particular reason. We happen to use Teams at work and given that I'm working from home, I think there's gonna be a lot of collisions collisions between my personal Microsoft account, I own a subscription to Office 365, and my corporate Microsoft account. And I just wanna avoid all the conflict and I'm positive that that's gonna happen because I've already had headaches. I live with quite a bit of pain from the conflicts of my personal account, which includes Outlook email against my corporate Office 365 and Exchange email. It's really such a mess that it's forcing me not to consider teams for the club. But that's my personal situation. Don't bring my baggage into your suggestions. Anyway, if you're all about capturing presentations, This is the recommendation. I like Zoom. I've used others, Skype, for example, and WebEx. To me, when you're hosting these online sessions, Zoom is always the best. We use Skype at work. I've used WebEx. Zoom always trumps both of them. From the viewpoint of the presenter and from the viewpoint of the attendee, Zoom always has a more reliable connection and in my mind, better features to interact with through their dashboard. My guess is they benefit from being the newest player in this space, but for what it's worth, they do a really good job. Now Microsoft just wrote Microsoft Teams over the last couple years and their presentation stuff is getting better. And I think they're going to walk away from Skype at some point and you could look for them to grow. So if you're looking at teams from a home base, It might also be a good choice for capturing presentations. The second nod in the space of capturing presentations has to go to YouTube. Now you have to become a YouTube administrator and it's a little fussy. I do that too. But once you get the hang of presenting in there it's a pretty good experience. It requires you to do a little homework and understand how it works but it's gonna be around forever, YouTube. And it's free, and it's a good investment. And the other thing with YouTube is you can create your videos offline and then just simply upload them. So you can tailor the content. You don't have to do a live on the spot. Oh my God, what am I gonna say? I'm nervous about public presenting. You could record things on the side with a webcam or a camera, get them pixel perfect. And then go ahead and upload them and get them the way you want my guess is what I've told you here may not give you a lot of comfort and trying to figure out these solutions let me dissuade your fears by challenging you to go to zoom and sign up for their free offering do this commit for an hour playing around creating a meeting learning how to record it learning how to close it out get familiar with its features Honestly, I don't think it's gonna take you an hour to get familiar with it. And with that investment, you could easily fire up simple collaborative sessions between a handful of beekeepers who you invite via email to test it, to test a meeting, and you'll be up and running in no time. Here's the side benefit of that. Once you make this leap, and you get acclimated to these types of tools, like the Zoom dashboard that I'm talking about, you're going to figure out how to configure these services. I said to start with Zoom because their dashboard is approachable. And once you have a bearings in their dashboard and look around at how that works, if you go to teams or discord or YouTube or something else, they almost always kind of work in the same way. It's, it's uncanny. You just get the lay of the land. If you were, I'm dating myself, word perfect user and you move to Microsoft Word at one point you realize that they're kind of the same tools they had a menu bar they had the same kind of features same idea the good news for us these days as it is we have a little bit of time to go learn a new skill and to find new capabilities so go try out zoom their free tier is really well done I've been using it lately for recording podcasts on one-on-one interviews. I have to thank Kim Flottam for that. He recommended it, and I ate my dog food. That's a really weird. I listened to how, how do you say, what's the equivalent of that? ate my dog? I put my money where my mouth alt- is. I'm all over the place. I went and tried it at his recommendation, and it worked really well. So thanks to Kim for that. Now I feel like I've just scratched the surface. There's so many different tools out there, but given them an hour in already, I think that's enough. I, I probably have about 15 more minutes, but I cannot go on going through all this without giving a primer on participation etiquette. So that's where we go to topic number three. Topic number three, I'll start with, my wife Sharon's a school teacher. And the other day, speaking of Zoom, they had a Zoom session in lieu of holding in-person class because all the schools are closed right now. When I asked her how it went, her immediate feedback was how awful and unstructured the behavior was of the people participating in the meeting. Now granted, she teaches preschool and most of her participants are young kids. They of course do not understand how to stay quiet in an online meeting when someone's talking and apparently the head teacher spent the entire session trying to get everybody to pay attention. It's a new experience for them. And I poked at one point and you see people, all the parents doting behind the kids, standing there with their dogs and all the others. It was comical. I'll let you in on something. It's not about the kids because adults don't know how to do this either. I've been on conference calls at work and they have just been simply awful. Sometimes people for whatever reason just cannot grasp that when someone is talking not to talk over or allow for a pause and how to broker who gets to talk next. The hard part too is sometimes you just can't see anyone if you're not doing a video call and even if you are doing a video call you still end up stepping on each other. You're mostly missing those visual clues when you get to have someone in person when they lean forward and they want to say something or they fidget a little bit or even in the sessions where we are commonly accustomed to having everybody in a room where someone raises their hands. So sometimes it gets messy So the first thing is behaviors and being acclimated to this. There's just something about people's experience in these calls and learning how to behave that takes time. I would recommend to you to expect the beginning when you try this out with your associations that it's going to get messy and it's okay. Take a deep breath and Even after one call, people start to learn how to conduct themselves in this mode of interaction, but a lot of people don't have experience with it. There are other things that come into play here, and I'm going to ask you not to be that person. Not be the one that is so annoying in something that you do that you create tension among the call. So here's a guide. Do's and don'ts. A Kevin moment last night we watched the movie 10 ways to break up with someone it's a chick flick yep and I even recommended it because somebody told me it was a good movie this is the 10 things not to do I don't know if there's 10 of them but we can go down that road <laughs> end of Kevin moment number one you may not even be aware that you're doing it but everyone else is and if you've ever been on the receiving end of this it's super frustrating it occurs when someone is holding the microphone to their mouth and breathing non-stop into the microphone on a call. It sounds like this. And it's simply awful. Wasn't that awful? Sorry. It's awful for anybody that's participating. So don't be a mouth breather. That's number one. I want you to pay attention and don't hold the phone or lean in over the microphone, or whatever you do in that you're sitting there breathing into the microphone and being the mouth breather. Number two, background noise. And this is harder said than done, I know. But the next thing to consider is just background noise. Kids come in while you're on the phone, you're on your video, and you drop the. Camera or knock it over dogs barking doors opening and closing slamming shut. washing machine equipment cycling on and off and You get the gist Background noises while sometimes unavoidable are often pretty avoidable if you choose the right way to participate Sometimes the best way to go is actually just go outside into your backyard your yard get out of the house Consider the quiet place. I have literally stepped into a closet or into a bathroom, as funny as that sounds, to get into a quiet place. Bathroom's always a place where you can get alone. So keep that in mind. Now, on the other hand, don't let the bathroom be your background noise. Uh, i just leave it at that. And that comes to tip number three mute <laughs> oh that was funny <laughs> all right the number one thing you could do to help your cause is mute your device when you're not speaking let me repeat that again mute your phone Mute your computer mute your whatever when you're not speaking an added benefit of muting your device when you're not talking is you lower the risk of The microphone hearing the call come out through the air and creating that feedback loop which again is uncomfortable to the listener and for the entire audience of the call it's sage wisdom to mute your device when you're not actively speaking but it leads to number four i think i'm on number four there's a tendency when participating in these calls to be distracted it's just human nature you zone out or you have an interruption it's easy to get called upon and then someone inevitably asks you a question or calls on you and you decide to jump right back in and you find out that you've muted yourself and you're not paying attention to the fact that you're muted the point here is you have to stay invested in the call and know that if they call for you whether you're on mute or not and take the phone off of mute it's really frustrating to one be the person who's telling this great and wonderful response only to find out that nobody hears it and two all the people go on the call are you there we can't hear you maybe you're muted so Don't forget to take yourself off of mute and stay invested in the call. That's kind of two for one there. So we'll call that four and five. Number six, handling roll call. A common convention when hosting a session is wanting to know who's there and if the important person is there and if everybody is there. And what I mean is knowing if a particular person is present or not, especially if they're the speaker. One of the best ways to handle this is get in the habit of typing a quick chat message when you arrive to say hello. Now, Sometimes the feature of this is when you log in you identify yourself through your name. It asks you to type your name and you click submit. Other times when you join automatically through a meeting invite or something it just shows your phone number if you're on a phone. If you know that you're presenting your name, every time you type it says your name, then just say hi. If you're presenting as a phone number, it's helpful for people to know who they're talking to. So put hi, this is Kevin England, your name, so that people know what's going on. What this facilitates is it prevents the moderator or somebody from that annoying habit is so and so here? Is so and so here? Anybody here from so and so? It becomes really tedious after a bunch of sessions. And don't be the one who keeps asking, "Hi, who joined? Hi, who joined? Hi, who joined? Hi, who joined?" after every beep when someone comes in. That gets really annoying over time. I have scars, can you tell? <laughs> number seven check if you're sharing your screen another dynamic that has to do with screen sharing is you have to recognize that everybody's dialing in with different connections that have different capabilities some are on super fast internet and others might be dialing in on their phone network or other cell phone one of the major features in a lot of these things is to be able to share your screen and when you share your screen, it takes a moment for it to appear. If you're a presenter, you might have a concern as to whether you're sharing properly or not. It gets tricky sometimes to figure out whether you're sharing the right screen and if the sharing is turned on. You can simply ask someone, can you see my screen? And the first one that asks, you're good to go. It's a common convention and it happens. There's another part, number eight, is you need to give time for the sharing to catch up. Given that we just said people come in on different connections, you gotta give a moment for that screen to appear and you have to give a moment for the solution to re-render your screen when you move the presentation in any way. Sometimes you're presenting a PowerPoint presentation, for example, and you click to the next slide. It's not instantaneous for some people, and you have to give a moment for it to catch up. Don't be that person when you're presenting, say, a PowerPoint presentation or a spreadsheet or something, where you have your hand on the mouse, and with your nervous energy, you're scrolling up, you're scrolling down, you're scrolling down, you're moving your mouse, you're moving your... What's happening is the rendering is not keeping up and it either freezes or people can't see it or you've scrolled down and you're sitting there scrolling and talking about something and people can't see what you're talking about. Move your screen and then freeze. Give it a moment, a pregnant pause, and then talk about it. And if you follow that technique, chances are people have caught up to you and they can lock in and read what you're talking about and they don't have that jitter from you rolling around. So the tip there is give time for the sharing to catch up. Number nine of 10, handling questions. A lot of times you want to facilitate questions in these sessions. Have a recommendation for that. One of the things I would tell you is consider having people type their question instead of ask it out loud. When you ask for questions, 10 people ask at once and nobody gets to understand the question and it's hard to meter that. Ask someone to indicate that they have a question in chat and maybe even type the question. And then you could call on them and successfully broker a bunch of people who you can't see and address their questions one by one. The other thing that's a benefit of this is that You could pick and choose what questions come in if there's too many questions and not enough time to answer them all. And everybody gets to see the question that was asked by watching the chat window. So there's a lot of good reason for this. An additional adjunct to this, number 10, is use a moderator. When you're in a session where you know you're going to get more questions than you can handle, have someone moderate the questions for you tell someone to receive the questions in some way, and then they can post the questions to the chat. And if you're the presenter, a lot of times you could just glance over and see which question the moderator has teed up for you. Or the moderator can take all the questions in the chat because sometimes the presenter can't see the chat window, they're presenting, and they can say, I have a question and relay the question the best they can. That's really a good way to go when you have a big presentation with a guest speaker and there's so many questions that the moderator is going to have to fill in for that. That's 10 things, some of them not to do, some of them to do. It's not your 10 things not to do, I guess, but that's a good start. Uh, Again, mm, you could go on with a bunch of these, but I said I was going to keep it to 15 minutes and I'm at 116. Closing comments? So given that for work, I've been through thousands of these collaborative and training sessions over my 20 years and not to mention meetings that go on every day. I could keep going, but I think this is a good place to leave it. I am positive 100% that I've left out a ton of good suggestions, but this is food for thought and it was a check-in episode and I got it out of my brain and now you have it it might be a good idea for you to listen to this and then share it with your association or friends. And you know, this is something that I will say because I'll come back to manage mentoring. One of the primary things I wanted to do is create a mentoring space where people can collaborate and ask questions in a safe and moderated environment for mentors. And that's ultimately what I plan to do. So I thought, uh, This would be a good topic to talk about, and I'm surprised that I found so much to talk about, and I'm glad I did. I hope you found it useful. If you have things to share that I have absolutely missed and you need to share that with me, send your feedback. Kevin at bkcorner.org is my email address, and I look forward to hearing anything, and I could do follow-ups in future episodes if, if something good comes through. So don't hesitate to send it to me. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we can accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everyone, and be well.